Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by this awesome guy, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Ken, what's up, man? What's going on? This is going to be episode 87. Episode 87. Yeah. We're getting up there. We are definitely getting Holy up there. Holy cow. Episode 87. Today, we're going to talk about a hack on how, if you don't know about this yet, you definitely need to know about this. If you or anybody you know takes a prescription drug and another hack, which is kind of all over social media, how you can drink a whole bottle of your tequila 512 and not have a hangover. That's all over social media. That's all over social media, specifically (laughs) that tequila 512. For those of you that don't know, Eric actually launched uh, with his buddy, Scott, a tequila company called tequila 512. Damn good tequila, by the way. Yes, it is damn good tequila. Although I don't drink very often. uh, Would you happen to have information about that? About you not drinking very often? Well, not about me not drinking very often, but about information on that might uh, help someone who has avoided drinking because of any particular reason. Avoided drinking? Like, uh, maybe they're not processing alcohol the right way. Oh, yeah, no. So we can, in fact, if you want to do it live, I'll go get a bottle of tequila 512 and I'll give you this hack and we'll test it live on the air. What Eric's getting at is- Nothing that that I just tried worked out my (laughs) my As it turns out, a lot of us lose the enzymes to break down a particular (laughs) molecule that makes you feel like shit the day after you drink. That is no joke. And Eric has gotten to that point where if if he sniffs alcohol, he feels like shit the day. I can't even say the word alcohol. (laughs) I'm feeling woozy now. Well, this one is for those people who still like to enjoy themselves a little bit. Maybe you're doing a sober October and you want to like let loose next month in November. Be prepared with this. We're just going to talk about a little hack. So, and it's a, it's basically a new product that's come out of England that people are talking about. Okay, cool. I was was just curious, but thanks for stringing me along until I overcommitted myself. I appreciate that. (laughs) I really think that we should really do that. We should test products and like, have you (laughs) like, okay, this one says you will not have diarrhea. Yeah. Take this. I like how we're going to wait for Eric to, you know, consume this whole bottle of whatever and see if you develop diarrhea. I'm not really sure how it turned into have you do this coming from you. (laughs) Eric will be, that's, you know what, uh, right into the Get Check Project. If you have um, a product or have something that can alleviate something, Eric is willing to try those on the air and we will put them to the test. This is not a good setup, <laughs> but maybe. Or, or maybe we won't. Um, let's get into the show here. But first of all, you were recently out of town. I was. So uh, on behalf of KBS Research and Atron Teal, we launched officially Altrontil Pro uh, to dietitians, our first healthcare provider group, and myself and Dacia, our healthcare provider concierge at uh, KBS, we went down to Orlando and we brought her husband along, Abel, who basically functioned as our muscle. He helped us move all of the products and get set up in the booth, helped us direct traffic, and Honestly, it was a really, really cool experience because dietitians have just been so integral 
in our message and how we can reach people who are suffering from IBS, from bloating, from all of the problems that go along with poor digestive health and what polyphenol therapy can do for them and being able to get in front of those same dietitians and show them that not only do we trust their ability as experts in the field of dietetics, but our appreciation for them. And we got to launch our healthcare provider access only Autron Teal Pro to them. And I feel like better than expectations, it was received. Not only that, that the messaging that we were experimenting with, like what makes the most sense for you, mm-hmm. your patients and the physicians that you help, what what means the most. And fortunately, I felt like that not only were we able to augment what what their targets were, we want to control IBSC, we want to control IBSD, we want to deal with dysbiosis. We actually had some some answers for them. And so much so that sometimes the dietitians were helping us finish out what our messaging should be. And I, I've, I don't know, we're very, very fortunate to get in front of a group like that. So one of the things we're going to talk about uh, in today's podcast a little bit are the types of probiotics that are in Atron Teal Pro. What makes it different, mm-hmm. those particular probiotics, and why did we put it with Atron Teal? Yeah, and one one glaring, I should say two, two glaring differences that really separate the reason why we used Kieran Krishnan's advice to take Atron Teal and combine it specifically with these three strains. Sporebiotics, number one, they make it to the colon. If something is not a spore-based probiotic, chances are it just won't survive the transit to get all the way down to the colon exactly. and do its 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 job. Second is that that uh, combination of three features, an enzyme which is very, very specific to polyphenol activation, really, and that's tannase. And dietitians knew this from the jump. Once we began to explain that these three sporebiotics in Megatrio combined with Atrontil feature tannase, they knew that polyphenols are tannins. And in order to unlock the potential and the benefits of polyphenols, you need this enzyme. And uh, so, like I said, didn't really know exactly how well the message would be received. Just like five years ago when we first made our appearance at Fincy, would people really know what we were talking about? But not only did they know, they helped us with our own education. They reciprocated. And I feel like that once again, we've, We've uh, just only emboldened these allies in in uh, helping people solve some digestive issues. I think that's awesome, and the fact that we're healthcare is helping healthcare providers. You going down there, learning a little bit from them, you teaching them about this, and then them having another tool in their arsenal to help people mm-hmm. is awesome. Atrontil Pro. So another shout out to to Dacia and Able too, um, who basically re- represented the Atrontil team. Top notch, top to bottom. I mean, just just quality folks. We're really, really fortunate for the people that we have around. We us. have an incredible team over at Atron Teal, and I'm so excited. Uh, incredible customer service. We've got just everybody, everybody across the whole board right now. It's fantastic. We're really proud of that, and it's so cool to be part of a company, be part of a team where everybody has the same mission, everybody has the same goal, and it's just to make sure that we help people feel better. Definitely, definitely. What did you do? Well, a couple things. So in the same line as that, mm-hmm. while you were heading over to do uh, the fancy um, 
convention, I went on Heather Finley's podcast, oh, who yeah. is a dietitian. Nice. And so while you were doing it kind of to the masses, I was doing it one-on-one with her and her podcast. So if you get a chance, check out Heather Finley. She's a dietitian. I believe it's Texas Dietitian is her hashtag on Instagram. I should know that. But anyway, so you can check it out. We're going to... Uh, do a, cu- a couple social media posts or whatever to try and get that out there. But we did discuss all this and it totally resonated with her. She was like, oh my gosh, I use Megaspore. And I'm like, well, this is a concentration of the three things that have tannins to help right. break it down. Uh, so that was one little thing I did. But the other really cool thing I did, um, well, realizing how much of a wimp I actually am because episode 86, having one of the biggest studs in the world, Ryan Birdman Patton, come on and tell his stories of being a Navy SEAL. What's his last name? Patton? Parrot? Parrot. It was Patton. You're the one that got me saying Patton. (laughs) (laughs) And look at that, Birdman. Look who did it. So on the episode that we actually cut out, Eric <laughs> Eric called him Patton, and I just did it right here. That's so cool. Awesome. And we're not going back. No, no, we're leaving that one in. Sorry, Ryan. All right, Birdman Parrot. Parrot. <laughs> That's awful. That's I cannot believe I committed your mess up. You took it out of your episode. We're going to leave it in mine. You're a bad person. Yes. All right, anyway, so I felt really wimpy being around the Birdman. Yeah. Because he was telling stories of being a Navy SEAL and all this other stuff. So I took my first step in becoming less wimpy. And I did a cold plunge this morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I was... I. You do not like cold. I do not like cold at all. And I was able to be in a cold plunge, very cold. Um, the temperature actually was listed as cold AF degrees. I don't know what that was. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's all it said there. <laughs> so I'm like... I don't know, man. I don't know if that's Celsius or Fahrenheit, you know. I think it's cool that we have that many millennial engineers making that kind of (laughs) dial. (laughs) So I went in there and I lasted a full three minutes. Impressive for me where, you know, Ryan went to Kodiak, Alaska and did like weeks of cold weather training and sat in the water for hours at a time, 50 degrees in the ocean in San Diego. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, but, uh, but I managed, I managed three minutes. That was at the uh, sweat house in Plano. Uh, so shout out to uh, those guys in the team there that basically bullied me into getting in there. because <laughs> <laughs> All the people that work there do it on the regular. And I was like, oh, man, I'm such a wimp. You just felt shamed. I felt shamed. <laughs> I felt so shamed. Like it was, you know, I mean, when you're being called out by just a nice, you know, 20 some year old, you know, young girl going, you know, I, I was in it for 10 minutes this morning. You should really, really try it. I'm it, like, no. And I'd like run out. There's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. Yeah. But anyways, so I did that. So that's what uh, that's what I did. You did. You were educating dietitians. So here we are. And uh, yeah, Ryan, sorry about that. I, that was a complete screw up that Eric planted a seed in my head. Now that we're doing that, you're horrible. I'm just so pissed off at myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> parrot. It's parrot. Damn it. All right. Anyways, we got lots of lots of stuff to do here. First of all, I need some help. Can you help me ship uh, 36 million bottles of Atrantil to New Zealand, please? I cannot help you do that. Dude, that's a, that's a huge task. I'm going to need a little assistance. Yeah, I, I will send. I won't I don't know. I, I, we, can, we could call some people. That's all I know to do. Well, I've got some friends that are farmers in New Zealand, and I'm worried about them, so I want to help them out. Okay. So as it turns out, uh, just recently, this past week, New Zealand wants to tax farmers for their cows' burps and farts. 
That's ridiculous. Oh, uh, check it out. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern uh, will push ahead with a proposal uh, to make farmers pay for their livestock's emissions in a bid to combat climate change. Can we just... Never mind. I'm going to let you finish. All right. So New Zealand is a major livestock and meat exporter. has around 10 million cattle and around 26 million sheep. And agriculture accounts for half of the country's total emissions, including 91% of its biogenic emissions of methane, which they're stating is a very potent greenhouse gas with more than 80 times the global warming power of carbon dioxide in the short term. So, as she stated, uh, no other country in the world has yet developed a system for pricing and reducing agricultural emissions. So, our farmers are set to benefit from being the first movers in this area. But, as you can imagine, uh, the farmers are not convinced and they have many concerns. Uh, about the high cost that this will impose on the industry. And basically, they're not going to accept a system that disproportionately puts the farmers and the communities that rely on those farming at risk. Uh, the president of the Rural Advocacy Agency said in a statement, and his name is Andrew Hogard, that the government's plan will rip the guts out of small town New Zealand. So I'm worried about the guts being ripped out and... I just thought that we would just ship 36 million bottles of Atrantil to New Zealand to help control some of that methane because that's what we do. We control methane. We do control methane, but we control methane at a local level as to what it does in the small bowel. I mean, this is, uh, it's interesting that this is the first story that you're bringing up. So I don't know how long you've been watching the gut check project. Ken never tells me what it is that we're going to do when we have a surprise story. So this particular story uh, although funny because it's ridiculous, it's also angering because it's ridiculous. Coming from the the fancy convention just now, um, it's okay. This is an obvious attempt in New Zealand for them to control animal agriculture. They're essentially trying to incentivize a lack of animal agriculture. And if you get down to what her solution is, it's essentially well, if you're going to have animals, then we need to throw money at mother nature as if as if mother nature makes change because of the amount of money that you throw at it that's ridiculous second the dietitians at that conference specifically were opining about how there is now this new narrative uh, basically devaluing the use of animal protein and there are just simply certain types of nutrients that we won't realize as mammals without intermediaries such as ruminant animals to prepare them for us specifically um some of them being just the array of vitamin b but there are also did you know there are amino acids that are available in the soil and in the plants but if we were to eat tons and tons and tons of plants the amount of of amino acids that we could get on our own versus what we would get by consuming the meat of a ruminant when a ruminant is a cow, you know, mm-hmm. all, the, all the ruminants, et yeah. cetera. There's more, uh, there is there. It's called upcycling. Have you ever heard this term before? Mm-mm. Upcycling. Uh, you can look it up. Upcycling is the, uh, natural metabolic process or, uh, it's probably not metabolic, but there's, there's another word for it, but is the natural cycle and, and process of a ruminant consuming plants 
which those plants have roots, and on those roots are bacteria, which are making various types of aminos. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're taking inert nitrogen and putting it on the ends and making small oh, aminos. Yeah. And so those ruminants eat those plants. And then those ruminants, and I can't remember what the, what the, the fold is, but there's an exponential growth of available amino acids for all mammals that are carnivores to then make of eating those, mm. yeah, those same uh, meat-producing uh, ruminant animals. And it's called upcycling because oh. you're actually increasing the abundance. So I'm with the farmers here who are opposing that. And, and far beyond the, the scale of what's going to do to the community, what's it going to do for world health if we keep forcing people to feel as if animal protein is this evil existence? I mean, I think that this narrative, we sometimes I feel like any type of political movement right there, it's just like, look, we're going to do something. This will get some press. We're going to, you know, decrease this methane production in this small country and solve this little area of the, you know, ozone in this one area, in this one small country. When you have industrialized nations just putting out, yes, maybe methane is a more potent greenhouse gas, but on the scale of it, when we look at major industrial plants and things that just don't do anything, just try and slow it down, no. probably has more of an issue. But there's there, and the earth is in cycle. I'm not saying that there's, I think everything contributes to everything. Climate change is, the climate's been changing for quite some time, but rather than get political, let's just only talk to science. The fact is, is that we've got, sharp canine teeth for a reason we are engineered we, we were engineered to eat animal protein we just are and there are varying perspectives on what's good and bad about eating animal protein but the truth is is that we require it and more often than not this was this was an interesting uh topic at the at the dietitians conference because some of the old guard dietitians have been doing this a very very long time they are experts in their field you can get vitamin B. Let's just stick with vitamin B. You can get the vitamin B from many, many, many different animal proteins, including eggs, okay? Um, but then you can run through the list of vitamin B-fortified foods, right? Mm-hmm. You know, oatmeal, there's, there's yeah. different kinds of grains. More often than not, the source of that vitamin B is coming from an animal byproduct, which is being folded and put into those grains. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I learned that from a, uh, her name was Sylvia. She was a dietitian and she, I'd I'd read something similar about that before, but no, she was illustrating precisely how that, that process works and talked about it in great detail and why she felt that some of this movement mm-hmm. in this direction is it's faux. It's not, it's not turning into better nutrition, but um, so I really don't know why exactly you brought this article up, but I'm glad that you did. I'm glad we can talk about it, but I'm not. Well, I thought it kind of fit you going to that convention, us being a product where it, Atrantil was developed uh, because we were trying to solve the methane problem, the gas production in humans, and actually the Cabracho Colorado has been used in cattle to, to actually control some of that. And so... Ironically, think of this. Ironically, high, okay, let's just take this. High-pressed seed oils, safflower oil, canola oil, um, all of those different types of oils we've talked about on this show that they cause what? Inflammation, mm-hmm. right? 
Inflammation is a, even on the early onset, is mimicking a disease state. From the research through Mark Pimentel and several others who've wondered why methane producers ever migrate from the colon to the small bowel, it's usually in a series of high stress, inflammation, disease, different things like that. Well, why in the world would we feel like that we are solving an overproduction of methane by feeding ourselves plant products, high-pressed seed oils, instead of meat, which actually predisposes us to inflammation, thereby actually producing more methane? So if methane is really the enemy here, it seems to me like we should continue to eat meat stay healthy and not make an inflamed body system where we are producing methane in our small bowel where it doesn't belong. Because if you're looking at Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger or whatever those are, those are made primarily by high-pressed seed oils, which are inflammatory. Super, inflammatory, super yeah. So it, it, it's counterintuitive in its foe. It's not real. <laughs> Speaking of counterintuitive, there's already some people, as always, trying to capitalize on this. What? Know? Yeah. So a, um, a researchers at a dairy company, Fonterra, are trialing the effects of, you'll love this, cow bucha. Cow bucha. I don't like it. Yeah. Cow bucha, a probiotic thought to reduce methane-emitting burps. Here's the interesting thing about this. We know that the methane is produced by not a bacteria, by an archaeobacter in its own kingdom Correct. called Methanobrevibacter smithi. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how taking cow bucha or kombucha, giving it to a cow, is going to decrease the methane production in that. I Because otherwise we would have come across something in our own human literature or even in the cow literature of giving more... Uh, bacteria can actually lead to more methane production. So this should be a little bit interesting. I'm curious to see what their science is because we saw on whatever episode it was, episode 85, we talked about Dr. Pimentel's new work where he was showing that the, our, the methanobrevibacter smithi that produces the methane needs four hydrogens. Yeah. So it needs more bacteria to produce the hydrogens. Right. So in theory, by giving kalbucha, unless they've got some unusual science that I'm unaware of, you could like really boost up the production of methane. 100%. I mean, uh, the process, <laughs> the process of producing the methane comes from an abundance of CO2 and, and free unbound hydrogen available for those methanobrevibacter spinthi to, to basically combine the two of them to make methane. Yeah. So I say that all the farmers in New Zealand, why don't you chip in, Pay for the shipping, and we'll send over 36 million bottles. I feel like now we should find a way to send over those bottles. Now, right? Yeah. See, now, now you want to. I am motivated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would kind of get, get at you a little bit there. As you can tell, we are both meat eaters. So I'm from Nebraska. My dad was a butcher. I mean, I'm from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... Let's. So that was just an article I came across that I knew would I knew would kind of light a fire under you. Did you're right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now on to a little bit uh, better news. So, if you have not heard of this, Mark Cuban started an online pharmacy. Okay. Called Cost Plus Drugs, and it launched in January. Now, I. Uh, my colleagues like Dr. Ackerman discovered it a long time ago and we've been using it and it's been phenomenal because I'll explain the model here in a second, but basically he's offering generic drugs 
at a very reasonable price where if you have a prescription drug, have a little fun and start pricing it out with GoodRx or another program like that. And that same drug could be $400 at Walgreens. It could be $100 at CVS. GoodRx will say go here. But the kicker is your insurance for a generic drug may be charging a ton of money. And if you just paid cash at a place like uh, Cost Plus Drugs, you're going to get it way, way cheaper. So this is sort of the little hack on how to save some money on this. Wow, okay. Yeah, super cool and very, uh, you know, this whole concept is just brilliant. And I'm, I'm happy that people like Mark Cuban exist that are being just, you know, really generous and saying, you know, we need to do this so that people can afford this. So basically, launched in January, it offers more than 800 generic drugs that treat very common diseases. Everything from cancer to dementia to GI issues, all kinds of different stuff. Um, the idea is, according to Cuban, that it's estimated that 18 million Americans or 7% of the U.S. adult population couldn't pay for at least one drug prescribed by their doctor. This was according to a 2021 poll. I disagree with that number. I think that number is way higher. It has to be Almost higher. all my patients, when we try to give a drug, one of the drugs is going to be cost prohibitive. Yeah. Even if the tons of money you can afford it, I just get so angry where one person gets it for $5 and this person has to pay 1500 It's super frustrating. It is. Uh, I don't want to interrupt on no. here, but you're looking. But uh, did you know, and I, golly, this wasn't that long ago. There, There's a... Um, While you're thinking about that, did you know that it's Ryan Birdman Parrot? Just want to say that one last time. I, yeah. Okay. I'm glad you know. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, there is a uh, there's a caveat on on like there's there's like an agreement on what certain pharmacies can do when ah Lee I'm going to screw this you up you hold that up you hold that because I was going to ask you you oh. can clarify what they tried to explain in this article okay go ahead because I think you're going right there so this is how cost plus drugs model works and that's the name cost plus drugs. When a drug maker creates a new formula, it's going to secure a patent that actually prevents other companies from producing or selling it. Mm -hmm. Now, these patents generally last anywhere from 7 to 20 years, depending on how they get it. And when they run out, other companies can just start making it on a generic version of this brand name drug. Sure. So what Cuban's Pharmacy is currently doing is they're focusing on lowering the cost of these generic drugs by sidestepping people known as pharmacy benefit managers. And I think that's where you're kind of hitting at here. So a pharmacy benefit manager, they are essentially middlemen who negotiate with drug manufacturers on behalf of health insurers, large employers, and others that actually contract to them. Now the kicker is that they're often criticized for actually upping the prices yes. of inexpensive drugs to maximize profits. Yeah. Even when their job technically is to negotiate for a discount. So instead of negotiating through these pharmacy benefit managers, cost plus drugs is just directly contacting manufacturers and they just buy generic drugs at wholesale. Seems like a really simple model. And then what they do is they sell the drugs to consumers with a very upfront pricing where they are going to put a 15% markup, a $3 pharmacy labor charge, and $5 for shipping. That's it. Flat rate, you see what you're getting. And he shows where all the money is going. Now, the trade-off is that Cost Plus Drugs doesn't accept insurance claims, 
since insurers don't typically work with pharmacies that avoid pharmacy benefit managers. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. What? Like we're just they refuse to work with people that are going to do it the right way, the <clears throat> simple way. Well, there, I think, uh, and I could be wrong, but I, I think the number is there are actually four or five main PBMs for our entire country. Our entire country. There's oh, four really? or five. Wow. And so these are the conduits that those contracts are set up through. And the scenario that I'm thinking of specifically, let's say that you go into a, a pharmacy that is utilizing a PBM to set their, their schedule of, of pricing, okay? You walk up and you say... Uh, I need drug X. I've got this much cash. They'll, they may say, okay, well, that's actually $7. Okay, great. You hand over $7. But scenario two, you walk in the door and you ask for that same drug and you look at the pharmacist and you say, I need this drug and this is my insurance. Contractually, that pharmacist, once you have presented a payer other than yourself they are no longer permitted or allowed to tell you what the cash pay price is what and your out-of-pocket cost may be 30 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever that plan is through the insurance company uh -huh. that says that this is what you pay for generic drugs here or this is what you pay for on-brand drugs here and it almost invariably is always significantly more than what the cash cost would be, but they are contractually obligated to not tell you you actually would save money if you just would pay the $7 versus your $20 copay of paying for this drug that I'm only paying 3 bucks. Well, for. let's not even stop there. It's a $20 copay, but the insurance is being billed $400. So often it's like if you see this EOB, you're like, holy cow. They're being billed. You're right. There are many scenarios where they are being billed, but the, the kicker for a PBM is how do they get kickbacks back to them? Mm. So if most people who are going into a pharmacy to fulfill something present an insurance card and the cash pay is actually less than what it costs to get on this pharmacy plan through the insurance card, the PBM is making the money on the margin between oh. the markup. Does I that see. make sense? That totally the pharmacist sense. is still going to pay $3 for this, for this medication. Oh my gosh, that's sickening. I didn't even know it would actually work like that. I didn't know that either till recently, but that's, Whoa. that's, that's the nature of the PBM and good on Mark Cuban, because if that catches on, it's going to expose these very, very poor relationships. Oh, I'm, I know who it was. It was one of the cost share, the non-traditional insurances where mm -hmm. people are, are paying in and basically you help pay for uh, the memberships. They were the ones that were, they were exposing what the, the danger of the PBM versus the, uh, the pharmaceutical wow. cost. Yeah, amazing. Good, good find. Yeah, this is, this is really interesting. Um, one of the things this is, that this brings up is why are brand name drugs such a hurdle? And drug patents don't just give companies exclusive selling rights. They allow manufacturers, manufacturers to sell the drugs at whatever price they want. Yeah. So brand name drugs make up such a smaller share of the overall prescriptions than generic drugs, yet they account for nearly 80% of drug expenditure. In 2018, generic drugs end up around 80% to 85% less expensive than their brand name equivalents. This is crazy. 
Drug makers usually only accept less money for their brand name drugs when they offer rebates to those pharmacy benefit managers. Just what you're explaining right yeah. there. Crazy. And then the middlemen then put the drugs on a formulary. Essentially, an insurer's plan has a list of preferred medications, which increases the chances that patients will be prescribed those drugs. When patients purchase those medications at full price, the rebate goes to the middlemen who share their earnings with the insurance companies that contracted them. That's, yeah. I mean, it's a joke. So the cool thing is, is that um, hopefully that Cuban's pharmacy will get big enough that they can start actually doing uh, branded drugs. So in theory, drug makers might be enticed to offer rebates if Cuban's pharmacy can build a large enough user base to rival major insurance companies. That's pretty exciting. And so Cost Plus Drugs will actually soon start manufacturing its own generic drugs. They're like, why not? I'm Mark Cuban. I'll just build a manufacturing facility right here and we'll start doing it. So they're in the process of building a 22,000 square foot facility right here in Dallas to set to open by the end of the year. And this could really help a lot of people get drugs at a very reasonable price. Now, I started looking down this whole Mark Cuban's pharmacy, number one, because I use it for my patients all the time. Mm -hmm. And number two, a study just came out of, out of the annals of internal medicine and it's called Medicare could save billions by buying generic drugs at Mark Cuban prices. In other words, your tax dollars are going towards this bullshit that's happening out there. 100%. It's crazy. So Medicare is probably overpaying for generic drugs to the tune of $3.6 annually. And that's a very conservative estimate, just on generic drugs. So, and that's the savings. That is, that's not even what they spend. That's the savings. That's the so savings. the amount that the program says, in an extremely conservative model... Medicare would have saved at least $3.6 billion in 2020 by just purchasing generic prescription drugs at the same prices offered by billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban's direct-to-consumer online pharmacy, this new study showed. So they go through about how his model's set up and all this other wow. stuff. But basically, this came out of Brigham and Young's Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School, where they compared the price of 89 generic drugs sold by Cuban's online pharmacy to the price actually paid by Medicare. So it isn't like this is like theoretical, what if Medicare paid oh, this? No, it's this? real. No, it's like, this is what it costs. This is what you guys paid. Oh, shit. $3.6 billion in this one year. And think about that. It's, it, that, it's, it's uber conservative because that's without any large-scale uh, negotiation for bulk purchasing. So if correct. You, I mean, that's, that's someone just saying, well, if I were to do this at retail, me as a consumer, this is what I would spend, and this is what I would spend, and this is what Medicare could have done if they had individual people going and buying their own stuff with Medicaid dollars. If you had Medicaid or Medicare negotiating in bulk, the, the savings is significant. Come on. What are we, yeah. what are, who are we kidding? No, it's, it's so they're, they're just saying this simple version of it is the potential savings of $3.6 billion only represents 37% of the 77 generic drugs that they had been looking at. In other words, that's only, you know, a little more than a third of it. So you can actually triple that number if it was 100% across the board. That's Crazy. nuts. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, very much so. All right, let's get you drinking again. What do you say? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Back to drinking. Let's get, that's, that's our new mission. We're going to, uh, 
We're going to launch a GoFundMe. Get Eric drinking again. That's not what we need to give money to. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was interesting because I got I, I subscribed to the uh, email list of Peter Atia, who's a, a cardiothoracic cardiologist, cardio oncologist. Uh, I don't know what smart his original dude, really smart really dude, smart. super smart dude. Yeah. And now he's into anti aging, and uh, he's everything is science backed. And I was surprised that he actually sent out an email about something that we had talked about when I saw it on Reddit, like a. Two months ago. Okay. All right. So basically, a new product called Merkel, M-Y-R-K-L, is being touted as a new anti-hangover pill said to break down up to 70% of alcohol in an hour. And that's how they're launching it. And so it's out mm. of England, but it's a Swedish firm um, that says that they have developed the pre-drinking pill that works. Mm. It is said that Merkel can break down up to 70% of alcohol after 60 minutes. This reduction in the amount of alcohol absorbed by the body is mirrored by a reduction in the short-term effects of alcohol, such as euphoria and reduced anxiety, which is, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that at the end here. But so what, the, what this company touts is that it's making this supplement and it recommends that two pills are taken one to 12 hours before drinking alcohol. Okay. Okay. And basically, they put together a few ingredients, B12, cysteine, and a couple probiotics. We're like, well, how is that going to work? Well, interestingly enough. I get the B12 and the cysteine. Let's talk about these probiotics. Yeah, the, the probiotics are Bacillus subtilis and Bacillus coagulans. Okay. And they said that they chose to do this because these bacteria naturally break down alcohol. And so they are touting all of this in one study that they published. And I want to go over the design of this study. So it is one crossover study performed by the company mm -hmm. where subjects were given either a placebo sugar pill or this hangover pill every day for a week before alcohol consumption. Then after they ate a light breakfast, subjects were dosed with 0.3 grams of alcohol per kilogram weight. And then they checked the blood alcohol concentration, both in breath and in blood okay. over the next three hours. So for a 70 kilogram person, that would be like a one and a half shots. Okay. So they state that remarkably, there was a 70% reduction in the area under the curve for blood alcohol concentration and a 30% reduction in breath alcohol when subjects took the hangover supplements. Mm. Um, however, while this is impressive, it doesn't answer the question of efficacy of taking a single dose. So you'll notice that their recommendations are take one before you eat. But our study was they took one every single day for seven days leading up to it. Keep that in mind, though. Okay. And so now let's kind of look at why this might actually work. So they put B12 in there, and that's just kind of one of those things because an alcoholic tends to have low B12 levels. They gave a bunch of different reasons, but the reality is B12 probably is an ingredient in here that we get from our food, and you discussed B12 just a few minutes ago with animal protein and such. Definitely. So I think it's a little bit more of a, it's not harmful, but it's certainly not necessary in this particular case. But it is, it is associated with alcoholics being low in B12. It is associated with that, usually due to malnutrition Correct. more than anything. Yeah. Not necessarily because the of cysteine the Cysteine makes sense. So the cysteine was actually shown to, uh, to be thrown in there also. So, you know, we've, we have discussed, or I have, we haven't done yeah. it on the air yet, but we've discussed N-acetylcysteine and uh -huh. its role in helping to break down acetaldehyde, which is the molecule that gives you the hangover. So L-cysteine has been shown in different studies to reduce hangover symptoms like nausea, headache, stress, and anxiety in different uh, controlled studies. Now, 
it's not a surefire hangover cure for sure, but at least it can help convert the acetaldehyde into an inert molecule, which ultimately would reduce the toxicity of acetaldehyde. Mm -hmm. So that one, okay, maybe, sure, I get it. Um, probably too low of dose though, and probably uh, not frequent enough. Okay. Just yeah. saying that. Yeah. Because when I've done some research on this using N-acetylcysteine, which is more readily absorbed and gives the, um, gives, helps convert the NAD to NADH, which helps convert that enzyme. It gets a little more sciencey than just glutathione. glutathione and all that. Yeah. So now we're back to the two probiotics. This is where things to get a little more interesting. So the strains, as I mentioned, are bacillus subtilis and bacillus coagulants. I keep saying that because those are two of our spore-based biotics that have tannase, and they're an Atrantil Pro. So I'm reading about this. I'm like, holy cow, we actually are using this exact same thing, which, as it turns out, I'm like, wait a minute. I've done a lot of research on these particular spore biotics. Mm -hmm. We've seen how it decreases in the leukin-6. We've seen how it helps with... Uh, dysbiosis. We've seen how it helps with leaky gut. We've seen how it helps with increased uh, short chain fatty acids. Increased short chain fatty acids and all that. That's how come we believe Atrantil Pro plus these three different spore based biotics, including these two, are really good. And Atrantil Pro is kicking some ass, which is what we're having fun with right now. Sure. We're launching it and seeing great things. So these guys actually taught me a little bit. They said that these particular bacteria have co-expressions of two enzymes which help break down alcohol one of them alcohol dehydrogenase alcohol dehydrogenase is located in the liver and surprisingly in the stomach mm -hmm. uh, men have more adh mm -hmm. than women do which is why sometimes you can drink or if you're eating on a full stomach and that you um if you run out of alcohol dehydrogenase in the stomach you can actually start absorbing the alcohol sooner so it has a little adh and then it also has a co-expression of aldehyde dehydrogenase, ALDH. Aldehyde dehydrogenase, also known as acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, helps break down that toxic metabolite. So in theory, prophylactically supplementing with these probiotics that produce ADH and ALDH, think of it as the two enzymes that start to break down alcohol and then help break down the byproduct if it misses the first one. Think of it that way. It can actually increase the metabolic rate of the alcohol um, consume, increase the metabolic rate of yeah. getting rid of alcohol and the byproducts of the alcohol. So they have shown in experiments in mice and humans that there is a reduction in blood alcohol concentration after seven days of supplementation. So that you can actually, in theory, drink more alcohol and not have a hangover with it. So I did do a little bit more of a deep dive into these particular probiotics and i actually did find some pretty cool literature about this okay which is so interesting that we didn't come across some of the stuff when we were researching it for the gut health so just a, a couple quick articles one is the application of bacillus coagulans in alcohol elimination uh this particular group it was stating that bacillus coagulans has recently drawn tremendous interest in the food industry and in medicine considering its great Beneficial effects on improving gastrointestinal disease. Yay, we knew that. <laughs> uh, but very few scientific reports discuss its role in alcohol. As it turns out, bacillus coagulants contained alcohol dehydrogenase and aldehyde dehydrogenase when they did it by mass spectrometry. The bacteria did itself? The bacteria produces it itself. Wow. Yeah. And interesting, which we already know is a, is a spore, 
it actually reduced, it, it is resistant to gastric acid, bile salts, and proteolytic enzymes. Sure. So they said that you can take it for a week and you will significantly improve alcohol metabolize, uh, metabolism in humans in the breath alcohol consumption. Another, al- uh, another article demonstrated alleviating acute alcoholic liver injury in mice with bacillus subtilis, the other one. Hmm. Co-expression of alcohol dehydrogenase and acetaldehyde dehydrogenase. Uh, alcoholic liver disease is a major cause of morbidity and mortality around the world. We all know this. So these um, researchers wanted to see if you could give this particular bacillus subtilis and see if it could help. They gave it to mice. They got a bunch of mice really drunk and then kept giving them and kept them drunk for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they had mice that didn't take the bacillus subtilis and coagulants. Mm -hmm. And uh, they developed liver damage over a period of time. And then the other ones uh, didn't after they were taking this. And then they looked at all a bunch of different measures. They euthanized them, looked at their livers, and it actually helped protect the liver. And then there was... Another article showing the uptake of probiotic nutritional supplement inhibits absorption of ethyl alcohol in the intestinal tract. So here we have a product launched that is taking advantage of the fact that there are animal studies and some human studies where it appears that you will metabolize the alcohol if you are taking these two probiotics. The problem with the study is that they enrolled 24 people and only 14 finished. So a large percentage didn't even complete the study. And it was just a one-day study. I don't know why they didn't do it. Uh, I didn't see the exact reason. So remember, it was a three-hour deal. Like you showed up. Like in three hours, they lost 10 people. Do you think that maybe, if I understand the study design that you went through real quick, that they were... They were dosing them for several days before they went in there for that three hours. Dosed them for seven days with the probiotics. I mean, is it could be some dropout from the time. They may have counted their enrollees from those that got the very first day. And could be. Maybe they didn't show up for the, the party. Could be. You know, I, I'm just kind of curious, but, but, they, but there may be some dropout there. Well, so here's what I'm interested in. Uh-huh. We know how these work. These are spore-based biotics. You ingest them. They need fuel to wake up, which would be the polyphenols. Oh, they got to be fed. And then they start waking up in the ileum. Yeah. Then when they get to the colon, that's when they actually become the probiotic. Understanding this, they're not waking up and releasing ADH and ALDH right. in the small bowel or in the stomach. Uh-huh. And they're saying take two of these before uh-huh. you start drinking. It just re- it's just kind of interesting because- you don't have time. Physiologically, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I'm not bashing it. Like, I think it's really cool that these guys found this and, and they taught me about this, but it's, that's interesting. Now, the other, the other most obvious thing is you're going to have less of a hangover. You're also going to have less of a buzz. Yeah. It's metabolizing the alcohol before you can get, why? Uh, drink a Waterloo. just drink a waterloo yeah that's true that's what i do (laughs) yeah so um actually never mind that gofundme if you've already started it and contributed money we'll go ahead and give it back to you we don't need eric to start drinking again so hey interesting though that they had the setup and even though they recommended it 12 hours before the day of that you're going to drink but in the study they did it for seven days i actually think there's some validity in the seven day idea because number one of time and number two recolonizing or appropriate colonization of the colon with the right type of bacteria to help produce this enzyme. I think you said it was uh, bacillus coagulans, which produces uh, 
They both do. Yeah. Bacillus subtilis and coagulants. Oh, subtilis does also. Both okay. produce ADH and ALDH. Those are the two articles that so I found. So ADH and ALDH in, in, uh, increasing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that would be circulatory. And the, it, it would make sense that if someone were of drinking age or if they regularly consumed alcohol and they didn't, they like the social aspect of it, but they don't necessarily like the, the payoff when they don't feel great, it makes sense that you would consume those types of spore-based probiotics on the regular. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it totally would. And what this tells me is that when these bacteria wake up and when they start feeding themselves, Mm -hmm. they start breaking down the polyphenols for the anti-inflammatory aspects that help our bodies. If they're releasing ADH and uh, ADLH, Mm -hmm. it gets absorbed in the blood. It just helps replenish your liver. 100%. So that may be why one of the reasons that we actually see when people have a good microbiome that they have less fatty liver, they have less cirrhosis, less um, scarring yeah. in the liver. And this could be one of those situations where if you are a regular drinker, you could probably help protect, according to these studies, your liver a bit. And mm. I actually kind of disagree with the whole you will not get a buzz because if you do not have ADH readily available yeah. in the stomach, it's you're going to absorb the alcohol. Yeah, it's already been spent. Yeah, what you really want is to get rid of the toxic metabolite. Correct. So in a perfect scenario, you drink alcohol, you get the euphoria from alcohol, and you never have that toxic metabolite buildup. Yeah. Which I think this is what it does more. That would make a lot more sense, especially if someone drank uh, regularly. I mean, like if they if they had a weekend, uh, you know, a trip uh, with, with some friends to Vegas, then then it would make sense that uh, prep your body yeah, because you're going to have a couple of days in a row where you're probably going to drink while you're in Vegas. And then the ADH in the stomach is going to be exposed at that point in time. So it becomes spent. You'll end up absorbing some later. And, but, but what you do have is that defense mechanism. And, and just a side thought, isn't it interesting? Um, it, it almost functions like an accessory to the liver to be able to prepare your body like that. Yeah. Much like you have accessory breathing muscles, being able to arm your body with those types of enzymes, it's almost like expanding the performance of your liver without it taxing the liver directly. So it's that's uh, actually a pretty cool. Yeah, according to these studies, so it's 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 really cool. It really got me thinking that all these different mechanisms are we just we're going to get into it because there's so many new articles out there, so many recent published studies about the metabolites of the microbiome, and we talk about it, we hint at it. That's just. The reason why you want to eat healthy is so that your microbiome can unleash the power of these healthy foods. Now you got to wonder, there's so many things you could be testing. You're like, if you have a good microbial diversity, uh, do you have higher levels of ALDH and higher levels of ADH? Do you have, is it the inflammatory process that doesn't use up the ALDH, which then can be used to convert the liquor? I don't know. There's just lots of questions, but I admire a company coming out and saying this, doing their own study, crossover, kind of a weak study. And, but you know, it is what it is. It's the first one I know of, of this kind though. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. really cool. So shout out to them. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll reach out and speak with the uh, CEO of the Merkel company and get them to elaborate a little bit more on the study. And I actually uh, printed the study and they didn't say a whole lot more than what was going on. So <laughs> they probably forgot. <laughs> yeah. So episode 87, a quick recap. Um, I completely make a fool of myself by, uh, Disrespecting one of our great veterans, I apologize, Birdman. Sorry about that. He's um, really beating himself up over I that. Just, I made so much fun of you. 
last week. I know. And you just, you you let me. I made so much fun of you that it just became ingrained in my head. Yeah. That's the problem. And you let me talk you into racing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and listen about how to get your prescription drugs at a more reasonable cost. And ultimately, if you want to protect your liver from alcoholic liver damage, or if you want to imbibe a little bit or have a little fun and be able to hang out longer, if you're one of those people that uh, probably um, has a couple drinks and that's you know one drink too many, maybe you can have a little bit more based on some data by a company called Merkel, which is launching this. So it's kind of the wrap on episode 87. Yeah, eat meat. It's good for you. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Hey, thanks so much for joining us here on the Gut Check Project. Please be sure to like and share. Rate us uh, five stars if you get the opportunity on iTunes and or Spotify. Share us with a friend. And as always, go ahead and go to gutcheckproject.com where you can write emails to us, send in news like some of these articles from some of you or questions, and Ken and I will do all that we can to answer them and certainly appreciate all of you viewing the Gut Check Project. See you Absolutely. Soon. See ya. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.